Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting adventure at the Hub World. Today's quest will have us covering everybody's favorite superhero, our friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. My name is Jules, and today our party members are... Mateo. And Gino. Whether you're joining us from YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, be sure to give us a like or a follow. So let's get this adventure rolling. Today, we're going to do something a little different from our like recently created structure. We are, are going to skip housekeeping today, and we're just going to go from an icebreaker into the main topic. But everything today is going to be Spider-Man themed, and I'm sure you know why. We're going to have two icebreakers today. The first one is, who is your favorite Spider-Man villain? Now, this doesn't have to do with the films. This can be any villain. Who is your favorite villain from Spider-Man? Well, this is going to be a cop-out answer, because I believe the character did originate as a Spider-Man villain, but is more of a villain of two Marvel heroes, and I'm going to pick Kingpin, and I'm basing that just purely based on the Daredevil Netflix series and Vincent D'Onofrio's portrayal of the character. Kingpin is just so, he's so menacing, he kind of feels like an Emperor Palpatine-like character, because his his hands are in everything. He's involved in everything. He's involved in in the legal system, in the justice system, in low-level crime, in, in big crime. Like, Kingpin is everywhere. I don't read Marvel comics basically at all. Like, Riley lent me the newest uh, Daredevil stories, and I'm going to be reading those. But, like, I don't really know anything about the comics. But just based on live-action portrayals of characters or animated portrayals of characters, Kingpin is my favorite villain by far. For sure. And he is a Spider-Man villain. Like you like he is very associated with Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Like so completely fair answer. Yeah, like he was in Into the Spider-Verse. He was in the Spider-Man PlayStation game. Like he's he's been in a lot of stuff. Uh, Gino, do you have one? I am going to also use a bit of a cop-out one just because again, like Mateo, I'm not really like big on Marvel and everything. But after rewatching all the Spider-Man movies in in the hype cycle for this movie here, and I gotta say Doc Ock is my favorite. Alfred Molina as that character is amazing. I really liked the portrayal of Doc Ock from the Spider-Man games and everything as well. And it kind of built off of Alfred Molina's performance as more of just like a mentor to Peter before turning into eight-legged robot arm guy that goes crazy Mm -hmm. and tries to hold the power of the sun in his hands and i really i really like that first character i feel like the only like other real exposure i had to doc ock was maybe from like the spider-man cartoon from when like my parents were kids his performance will forever change that character and like his portrayal of it i think is going to be like obviously it stuck around with the character for the past 20 years it is it like that mentorship was pretty much created in that movie i think doc ock and kingpin are super like important spider-man villains my personal favorite is Venom. I'm a big fan of Venom. I think he has not been portrayed properly in the films as of yet. Although I do like the Venom films, I just wish we could have seen him in a villainous nature first. But I like the idea of the symbiote, and I, I think it's mostly his design. I think as a kid, I thought he was cool. Um, a lot of that is credited to the Ultimate Spider-Man game um, that was on the GameCube. And you play as, like, half the game is Spider-Man and half the game is Venom. And Venom's gameplay is so fun. You can, like, literally eat people. And it was just... I loved that game. And I love just Venom in general. He's just, like, a really cool character. And the fact that he becomes, like, an anti-hero. Like, I can't even say that he's necessarily well-written. It's literally just I like I like Venom. You also like Shadow a lot, too, Jules. You like the edgy character. I do. It just shows. Like, he's a, w- a really good example of, like what really spectacular character design can do. 
Yeah. He looks awesome. Like, I don't really care for, for Marvel, but, like, Venom is an awesome character design. Like, Todd McFarlane, I think, created him. And the black costume with the white symbol and, like, the eyes with the creepy tongue, like, it's menacing. Like, he looks like an evil Spider-Man. He's really cool. He's one of my favorites. Now, second icebreaker for Spider-Man, and again, this isn't just limited to the films, is what is your favorite Spider-Man suit? For me personally, I think I'm going to be saying this a lot in this episode, but my favorite suit for Spider-Man is the amazing spider-man one suit i just i really like the design of like the actual logo itself with like the long legs i like the way that it looked very handmade that is like a very year one looking suit because like literally he used sunglasses as the lenses for his his mask and it just he had like the mechanical web shooters that were built like watches like i just think that that design got refined more in uh amazing spider-man 2 and it was a more traditional looking spider-man design but it kind of looked a little too unrealistic for someone like peter parker to have made himself so like i just like the nice clean design that that had that was just something from like that early 2010s design like that's when they really started to nail superhero costumes, I felt. And, like, the Amazing Spider-Man 1 costume was just perfect. and Like, it almost perfect, in my opinion. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm kind of the same uh, on, the, on the same boat. I really liked Andrew Garfield's suit. I was also going to say, like, the Stark suit from Civil War, where we first saw the eyes twitch and everything. I'm like, okay, that's really cool and expressive. That's, like, a close second. But still, like, the Andrew Garfield yeah. suit is my, is my number one. Yeah, Andrew Garfield's suit is really cool. I, I definitely agree with you guys that I think it's my favorite live action suit, but I don't think it's my favorite suit, period. This is a very interesting take, maybe. I don't know. But I honestly, if Sony's done something right with Spider-Man, it's the design from the game. I think the white spider is the coolest suit they've ever done with him. I love the white spider suit. I think it's just, there's something about it that's so fresh and simple yet so like sleek and fun and it's so like iconic now to that sony games version of spider-man that feels like when i see a white spider i think of spider-man like it's almost weird seeing a black spider now like i almost like associate like the logo being white and I really like the white spider. I think it's just such a cool design on him. And I think that whole suit is really cool. Mm, I think yeah. the white, red, and, and blue works a lot better than the black, red, and blue. Well, Jules, you also like Venom a lot. And Venom has that giant white spider on his chest, too. That so. is very true. I think it's because the white really accents the eyes. Like, I think the eyes being white and the spider being white, like, really accent each other. And I think that's why I feel it looks really sleek. Um, And I also like that the emblem is super big on the white spider. I want to say I played the entirety of that game with the negative man suit or the Mr. Negative suit. I don't know why. I really liked that one. It had almost like a, like from like the taken from destiny, Mateo. It kind of had like that kind of vibe. And I just like that. Like, okay. Yeah. Black, like the iridescent, like kind of like almost green and white on it. It was like, mm-hmm. I, I like that one. Okay. There's another one as well. Okay. So that was a good icebreaker. So again, we're going to skip housekeeping today. Um, We've had a lot of podcasts lately. So not a lot has changed, so if you catch one of our previous episodes or one of our future episodes, I'm sure you'll kind of get a sense of what we've been doing. But we're going to move right into the main topic. So we're going to approach this topic of Spider-Man in two ways. So obviously we're talking about Spider-Man because Spider-Man No Way Home just premiered, and we did all go see the movie, so this will be a full spoilers conversation. So just be aware if you have not seen the movie, maybe you know put this on your save list, check it out after you've seen the movie. But to start, we're not going to talk about No Way Home directly, we're 
actually going to talk about the things that come before and just Spider-Man's cinema history in general. And I thought we could just generally talk about like what are our favorite interpretations of Spider-Man, which were our favorite movies. Um, like going into No Way Home, what were we hoping to see to kind of give those impressions? And then we can unpack no way home itself so just as a general kind of idea why don't we just structure it based off of each spider-man series so let's just talk about the raimi spider-man series the ones that started all toby Maguire, kirsten dunce james franco sam raimi like let's talk about those movies we recently re-watched most of the movies um i watched all of them but i know the rest of you watched pieces yeah. but sam raimi's trilogy like what what can we say about those movies how did we feel about them how did we feel about Peter Parker, Mary Jane, the villains, like the stories, like what can we take away from those movies? Our experiences with them. Kristen Dunst really knows how to scream. She yes, definitely she had does. the best lungs out of all of the love interests. <laughs> she screamed all the time. I think most of her, her lines are just her screaming. <laughs> and I think like that plays into Sam Raimi's like history with like Evil Dad. Yep. And like that horror element. And like I think that that was part of it. Yeah, you're not wrong, Gino. These movies were seminal parts of my childhood but like i've seen bits and pieces of them throughout the years i had never seen spider-man 2 from beginning to end since i saw it in theaters but like yeah like i said i've seen bits and pieces of all of them throughout the years i knew though like as a kid after watching spider-man 3 in theaters that i never want to see that movie again and i did not watch spider-man 3 going into no way home but in general though spider-man 1 and 2 did not like i didn't change my mind and my opinion about those movies since watching them last i still think those movies are like the adam west batman of spider-man like they're really cringy and toby Maguire especially it's like he's not even acting i'm not a trained actor at all and i think i could have done not to be a dick but i think i could have done a better job than toby Maguire. <laughs> because like we joked about it like he was smiling when uncle ben died like come on like i know if the movie is campy and like superheroes weren't portrayed the same way back in 2002 as they are now but like when it's a bad thing happens to you you should be sad <laughs> what was most chilling about that scene is that he was smiling but also crying like there yeah. were tears falling from his eyes but he had a smile on his face i think memes the original spider-man trilogy memes are great yeah, and yes, I think the are. memes honestly have ruined those movies. What are you talking about? Pizza time is great. Yeah, the memes are great. The Jameson you... memes are great. Yeah. He just like throws his head back and just starts laughing so hard. Do you want to watch a two-hour movie that's not great, or do you just want to look at the good parts that have now become memes? Like, I don't know if I ever want to watch those movies again. Like, time has not been friendly to those movies. And, like, yeah, I I still, like, had a decent time watching the movies. Like, I, I respect Spider-Man 2 a little bit more, I guess, than I did before. Because, like, everyone says Spider-Man 2 is this unreal, like, phenomenal masterpiece film. And I never understood that. And I still don't understand that. Like, yeah, Alfred Molina is great as Doc Ock, but like... He carried he, that movie on his back up a hill. He's not really in the movie very much, as we, we recalled when we watched it. Like, he's in at the, the beginning, and then he pops in a little bit in the middle, and then he's there at the end a little, like, the little bit. Like, but that doesn't make up for the remaining, like, hour and a half that he's not on screen. So, like, yeah. movies have changed so much. Superhero movies have changed so much since the Raimi trilogy that like i i think it's like almost borderline 
unwatchable. Like, why watch those movies when you could watch Amazing Spider-Man or the MCU Spider-Man movies? So this is what I'll say. I want to chime in here. So I came from a similar situation where, like, I watched them as a kid. And, of course, as a kid, I liked them because I was a kid. And then my, my taste in those movies really, like, my opinion of them really changed. Even though I hadn't really watched them and only watched bits and pieces. And I really just didn't have high expectations of those movies. And then rewatching them... I was actually pleasantly surprised. And I can fully acknowledge everything you're saying, Mateo. Tobey Maguire, just like I've always said, is a terrible actor. Like, he's not a good actor at all, not, nor is Kirsten Dunst. And Willem Dafoe and Alfred Molina carry their movies respectively on their backs, like, in terms of acting. Like, they are fantastic actors. But what those movies have that the amazing spider-man and to a degree the tom holland spider-man doesn't have is it just captures the essence of what spider-man's supposed to be to a t and the plot like on paper those scripts are fantastic like spider-man 2 and that's why it's a masterpiece that's why i agree now that spider-man 2 is a masterpiece it's not because the actors are great it's because the story is great that movie is a masterpiece despite the fact that kirsten dunce and toby mcguire collectively have less talent than tommy wiseau as an actor like it's wouldn't go that far that's like an incredibly hot take it's pretty bad and it's like sam raimi really understood the character and you can see that in those movies and the plots are very very well done even spider-man 3 um and i'll get to spider-man 3 in a sec but Spider-Man 2, it just really captured that struggle that Peter faces balancing his his life like as a normal person as well as his life as Spider-Man, the way it destroys his interconnected relationships, the way that there's like stakes and consequences of all of his actions. It's something that I feel the Amazing Spider-Man trilogy had, and I'll get to Amazing Spider-Man later but like amazing spider-man was there's a reason why i think like it doesn't really capture spider-man as well as the raimi trilogy does but like the raimi trilogy had like that understanding of peter from the comics it had the stakes it was emotional the character arc in spider-man 2 was really well done and the way that they tied everything together to like set up the the following film which ultimately like didn't follow through on everything they they set up but like it was a very well put together film and i think unfortunately the reason that script suffers is because it was made in 2005 when superhero films were not taken seriously. Even the actors who worked on the superhero films often didn't take them seriously. And so what you have is you have a lot of mediocre acting and you have a lot of just people pushing lines. And as a result, you can see the age when you watch it. But if you just take the script, the script is fantastic. And, like, had you swapped out, for example, Toby for Andrew Garfield and Kirsten Dunst for Emma Stone and gave them that same script, that movie would have been, like, exceptionally better than anything in The Amazing Spider-Man or in the MCU, right? And it's, like, that's where I think I appreciate it is that, like, yes, I can see the age. I can see that, like, like I've always felt Toby and Kirsten Dunst are just not the best actors, but, like, the script is very, very well managed. And even that bleeds into Spider-Man 3. like Because basically Spider-Man 3 was not supposed to have Venom in it. It was only supposed to focus on Sandman and 
Harry as the main conflicts, and then the studio kind of pushed them to to add Venom. And you can actually see where like the first half of the film, the first like act as well as part of the second act are actually really, really well done. Like the the story is set up beautifully and it like completely continues the arcs. The stories are very personal. Like sure, Sandman's not an extravagant villain, but neither was Doc Ock or Green Goblin. What made them interesting villains was their humanity, right? Is that you can understand their point of view and Sandman had that, but then they had to shoehorn this idea of Venom. They didn't know how to balance it. They didn't know what to do with Harry because they had to give Peter the symbiote and Peter already is more capable than Harry. And with the symbiote, he's just like way more capable. So they gave him some, Oh, I forgot that I lost my memory so that he's just out of the way for half the film. Like there was a lot of just, convolution because of studio meddling in that movie but you can see where Raimi had like a framework and Raimi understood the characters and Raimi is a great storyteller it's just unfortunately some of his pieces on the board weren't the greatest I honestly forgot that Harry forgot things yeah he he goes mind wiped like pretty much at the beginning of the movie he hit his head and he forgot then about like an hour and a half in he remembers good old amnesia I wish I had it. yeah I wish you had amnesia so you don't need to remember that yep through Spider-Man 3 overall like I think the Raimi films as just Peter Parker's stories interpret Peter Parker from the comics the most accurately and the plots themselves are the most concise and personal. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that. To add on to what you're saying here, with the Raimi movies having, let's call it the most heart, I guess. Sure. The, uh, the Andrew Garfield movies. I want to say they probably had the best Spider-Man moments. Andrew mm-hmm. Garfield, I feel, was a better Peter Parker and a better Spider-Man than than Toby. Like, much, much better. The, the actor was much more expressive. Emma Stone as Gwen was great. And, like, even recently, like, going back and re-watching those scenes. And, Jules, you touched on this earlier. Like, you still feel those moments because you're invested in the characters. Because they believe in what they're doing. The level of, like, acting and, like, how seriously every actor took their parts was evident in those movies the chemistry between the cast as well like andrew garfield and emma stone were in a relationship in real life at the time i mean all of them did it's the spider-man curse every single spider-man has dated every single love interest really yeah kirsten dunce and toby Maguire dated during spider-man so did emma stone and andrew garfield and now zendaya and tom hollander are together well you you could have fooled me with toby Maguire and kirsten dunce because that did not benefit those movies at all andrew garfield is a phenomenal actor and so is emma stone they're both academy award nominated at the very least i know for sure i don't know if they've both won academy awards but they both academy award nominated actors and they just added so much to those characters like their relationship was so powerful it was well developed like it wasn't this like cringy stalker type type of relationship that toby spider-man had with mj like (laughs) like they genuinely had common interests that were developed throughout the movie and like and the other thing is and i'm gonna get to this later on but like andrew garfield spider-man was a well-versed student like he actually did it wasn't just all about photography he was a scientist they made you know that he was really really smart in that movie i mean they did with toby as well not they really, didn't do that with toby not very much like i'll get to it later but like i could believe that like if, if to- andrew garfield spider-man just started talking about stuff way over my head about science i would believe him if toby mcguire's did I, I would say you're full of crap. Like, he didn't, does not pass off to be a smart guy. To me, like, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man was missing a very important 
element. Like to interject just really quick. I think part of that too is that Toby, all of his like science, like geeky stuff was kind of told through his mentors, right? Like his like interest in science was all told through his interactions with Norman Osborn, Otto Octavius and Kirk Connors in the three movies respectively. And that's the only time it showed up. And part of the reason for that too, is because they gave him the web superpower rather than having him create his own webs. So he had less opportunity to show us that like, Hey, like he's actually like an inventor. He's like figuring stuff out. He like, he Toby Maguire was the most Mary Sue of all of the Spider-Man's. <laughs> and I say that despite the fact that everybody maybe in the comments, if people care about, are going to rip me a new one and say Tom Holland is, but Tobey Maguire was like, he got his powers and within like two minutes was already Spider-Man. Like he didn't have any training period. Like fine. Tom Holland was given shit by Stark. And like, there was a lot of stuff he was handed, but Tom Holland took three movies to become Spider-Man. Tobey Maguire was Spider-Man after he was bitten by the spider. There was no, learning period at all i do want to say that like the the mark webb movies definitely had like i do want to say okay like the acting quality was a lot better i do want to say that we, we spent more time with andrew as peter than andrew as spider-man it was like more approaching more of like the humanity of the uh, of the character because like he's dealing with a lot of these like personal things we don't get to really see a lot of the like okay super antics yes there's a lot more like big and bright villains yes the set pieces are a lot bigger yes you have the construction workers working on like what yeah. was it like the middle of the night on a probably on a on a weekend in the middle of like like quadruple overtime to get spider-man to the tower <laughs> hey it's spider-man let's go help him out come on let's go and i know i'm like i'm probably stealing that from like a podcast or something that we've listened to in the past mateo like when that movie first came out but that little like like i found that little a little campy that but that's the only moment that really took me out of those movies like everything else about that like the amazing spider-man one was great i really enjoyed it i do think that like electro was just super cringe and like like, even to a certain extent in No Way Home, he was still kind of cringy. We'll get to that. But I just wanted to respond to something you said, because I found it very interesting. Because you had like mentioned how you feel that in the Amazing Spider-Man movies that we spend a lot of time with like Peter Parker. And see, my criticism, actually, of the Amazing Spider-Man trilogy versus... Or not trilogy, duology, versus the Sam Raimi trilogy is actually the opposite. I actually think that you get very little of Peter Parker in the Amazing Trilogy. Or sorry, the Amazing Duology. Keep forgetting it's not a trilogy. Because the way I look at Peter Parker in Amazing is so I'll kinda I'm trying to think of a way to like put this, but the reason I feel that Amazing Spider-Man can never be, despite how much I like those movies and despite how great I think the interpretation is, the reason I can never say that it's the best version of Spider-Man is because ultimately Amazing Spider-Man never tried to be what Spider-Man is. It was more based on the Ultimate Comics. It was trying to be wacky and different. And the Ultimate Comics actually focus a lot more on Spider-Man than they do on Peter Parker. There's not as much of that balance. There is way more in the comics than there is in the Amazing Spider-Man. But that's what I found from Amazing Spider-Man. I actually felt like you got almost nothing of Peter Parker's life aside from Gwen Stacy. Like, that was his life was Gwen Stacy, and then everything else was Spider-Man. You didn't get a lot of interaction with Aunt May. You didn't get a lot of sense of his home life. You didn't really get a lot of his school life. You didn't really get a lot of his personal life. He didn't have a job. He didn't have anything that he was balancing. It was literally just balancing his romance 
and being Spider-Man. And that's where I feel that the Amazing Spider-Man movies actually did fail a little bit, is that they were great superhero movies, and they I loved him as Spider-Man. The action sequences were great. The romance was incredible, because that's all they focused on. But what it was missing was that double life kind of like balancing life and being spider-man because he didn't they didn't really show his life they really didn't they just kind of showed that he was dating gwen stacy and that was it i'm not gonna really talk much about amazing spider-man 2 because like that movie is spider-man 3 level bad for me and i'm sure we'll probably touch up on it as we talk about spider-man no way home but i think amazing spider-man the original one is the best spider-man movie still to this day, and it was even more reinforced by the events of No Way Home. I feel every Spider-Man movie has the same issue. Like, they, they all, all the movies forget about an important aspect to the character. And like you said, Jules, how, like, uh, what you said about The Amazing Spider-Man, I completely agree with. But the thing is, I'm a sucker for an origin story. That's why I love Man of Steel and Shazam and Batman Begins, like those movies particularly to me, like those are amazing origin films. And like, I just love to see the hero's journey, where they come from. And Spider-Man's origin story is one of the most well-known in all of comic books. I loved Martin Sheen as Uncle Ben. I loved like even the stuff with Captain Stacy and like Peter having to basically at the end of that movie almost have to make this this life-changing decision to give up on what he had with Gwen. I thought that was so powerful and then at the end of the movie he he can't keep that promise and then that sets up the entirety of the next movie basically. And like you have the best I think the best Stanley cameo ever in The Amazing Spider-Man. Oh yeah. Like there's there's so many awesome moments in the movie. Like the score is fantastic. I think the theme like the actual Spider-Man character theme from the amazing spider-man is the best one like the cinematic nature of that movie i still think is unmatched by any spider-man movie that came before or has come since i know it is a hot take to say the amazing spider-man is the best but i think it is still the best yeah and just to kind of like wrap up the amazing spider-man segments that we have time to talk about everything else like i agree like, I, I would ultimately say, like, Amazing Spider-Man 1 is one of my favorite Spider-Man films. But kind of like what I said before, unfortunately, what comes with doing something like Amazing Spider-Man, where you're trying to interpret the character so vastly different, is that ultimately, I feel like you can never say it's the defining movie, right? Like, in my opinion, I like, I love Andrew Garfield Still, I almost feel like he might be my favorite Spider-Man. Amazing Spider-Man might very well be my favorite Spider-Man movie. But if I take a step back and I'm like, what's the best Spider-Man movie? I would probably never say Amazing Spider-Man just because I don't feel like that gives audiences a real feel of what Spider-Man is because it's so different like it doesn't even have mary jane in it it doesn't have like a, a big part of his life like a big core part of what spider-man is it interprets the character so vastly different it's more similar to like ultimate comics like the villain that they use is not a typical origin story villain the characters they introduce are not his typical cast of characters and that's okay like those are all great things like that they're doing different things but i think that's why i can never reconcile with saying like that that's the spider-man film and i think the unfortunate part with andrew's series is they were building to that and they never got to see their seeds come to fruition because his series fell apart before they kind of 
made him into the familiar Spider-Man, right? But you know, though, I say this about The Amazing Spider-Man. Two is a train wreck of a movie, and that third movie that they were planning would have been probably just as bad as The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Like, I can't... Yeah, they went with what they so, were planning. Yeah. So, like, that movie is, like, almost perfect the way it is. Just forget about everything else. Like, now transitioning into what we're going to talk about, full, full spoilers for Spider-Man Far From Home. I do think, though, that the future is very, very bright for Tom Holland Spider-Man. So let's get into that. Like, kind of. So let's just start with just generally Tom Holland Spider-Man. How we felt before we went into No Way Home, and then we'll talk about after No Way Home. So maybe Gino, do you want to kick that off? How are you feeling about Tom Holland Spider-Man moving into No Way Home? I didn't really like how like we see him already as Spider-Man. He's kind of like Tony Stark's little lapdog or like side project. And like all the all the stuff with like Happy and things like that, like it was great to bring him into the into the movie and whatever. But I felt like it was just very like okay, we're gonna take a very different approach as well. And like we were just coming off the heels of like Amazing Spider-Man two, and it was just it was just weird. Like we had gotten two different Spider-Mans in less than like five years. I was originally like very very like skeptical because like it would have been great if it was Andrew Garfield somehow. Like he was able to be brought in. He was supposed to be. And then they ended up going with the younger actor that could do the part a lot longer, right? Well, the room is that because sony really wanted to continue with andrew like sony really liked andrew and when marvel approached them about spider-man coming to the mcu sony was very much like andrew garfield is the one that we want and disney or i don't know if it's disney yeah i guess it was disney at the time like marvel was like no we want somebody new but sony was really pushing it and supposedly there was some big like audition or like meeting day and Andrew Garfield got sick and didn't go. And that was like the nail on the coffin of his opportunity of being the MCU's Spider-Man. Like it might have turned out this way either way, but I think that that's the rumors that he didn't go to some like really important meeting or audition or something because he was sick. Tom Holland as Spider-Man has grown on me. Like he has the quips. He has obviously like like the youth to pull off the part. Like Toby was like, what, 30 when he was Spider-Man? Andrew Garfield was a little younger. And then now, like, we actually have a early 20s-ish actor portraying the part. It's definitely a step in the right direction for, like, the look of the character and kind of, like, the general attitude and the sentiments. My opinion for Tom Holland as, like, Spider-Man, I believe comes a lot from this movie that we just saw. Because I feel like this movie really, like, is his, like, aha moment as the character. And I don't really want to get too, too much into the spoilery territories, Jules. Like, okay. So I will politely, no I will politely evade the evade the question and, sure. and pass over to Mateo. That was actually very well said, Gino, because I basically was going to say the same thing about, like, this was his time to shine. This is when all the stars aligned for the character, and now we're finally going to get, ideally, what we want to see with Spider-Man. The school life, how that's going to pan out. The the life as Peter Parker, how is he going to make rent? How is he going to balance being a superhero and just a normal guy? Like, Stuff like that. We're we're finally gonna have the those questions and answered. We're gonna see these these story beats all at the same time, and that is what none of the other Spider-Man movies before have been able to do. I feel like definitely in Civil War he was just sh- like shoehorned into that movie, and he is like Tony Stark's project. <laughs> that is a sad thing to say, but like he's so ingrained into the Avengers and with stark industries and stuff at such a young age 
very, very early into his career, Spider-Man has always been something that really didn't fit. Like, that's something that he should have went into after after high school, in his university years, maybe when he's working already. Like, that's when he should have been a full-time Avenger, having all this, like, insane technology that, like, how could a child comprehend all this? Like, the holographic whatever interfaces that all the Stark tech has and these advanced, very powerful pieces of technology that he has, like... And it like he was able to control these friggin' invisible, basically flying turrets in Far From Home with a pair of sunglasses. They're supposed to expect us to believe that he has basically the entire Stark interface in these pair of sunglasses, and he's able to do all that. Like it, it, it's just mind-boggling when you really take time to think about it. They took a huge step back now, and we're all going to be able to exhale and get down to what it really means to be Spider-Man. And unfortunately, it's taken three movies for us to get to that point, but now I'm really, really excited to get to that point. So at least, so... See, um, I don't think it's an unfortunate thing that it took three movies to get to this point. I actually think that's the brilliance of Tom Holland's Spider-Man. And I actually think that his arc, his trilogy, and and his story is the most consistent of any Spider-Man trilogy. And regardless of how people feel about how his Spider-Man started and what he went through, I actually think they were really, really great things for the character, especially in the context of the larger universe where Spider-Man wasn't the first hero introduced. I think they did a great job demonstrating that he is a child in a world of adult superheroes he was cradled he was like protected he was kept away from needing to make the tough decisions and really be the kind of hero that like tony stark and captain america had to be he didn't have to face those realities because there were people out there taking care of him and making sure that he wasn't making those mistakes i think even like with all that stark tech i don't think that it's an unbelievable thing because one, Peter's constantly being demonstrated to be a very smart person. But also, if you, like, I just rewatched Homecoming and Far From Home. That's the main conflict with his characters. He actually doesn't know how to use those things. He's given those things by Stark, and those things actively sabotage him. And the way that he solves all of his conflict is he actually has to be like, you know what? I'm not going to use this stuff. I'm going to be Spider-Man. I'm going to be myself, and I'm going to be my own hero. And that's how he stops Mysterio. That's how he stops Vulture. He stops Vulture after Stark is like, I'm taking away your flashy suit that I gave you because you can't be responsible for it. And then he puts on his old suit that he made himself, and he stops Vulture his own way using his web shooters and his super strength and his connections to his personal life and then same thing in far from home it's like he had all this power that stark gave him and it would have been so easy to stop everything that was happening but he just it's not the kind of hero he is and it's not till the end of the movie where he's like i'm gonna focus on the one thing i have that other heroes don't have i have my spider senses and that's how he stops mysterio and i feel like the arc of his character is learning that he is not the hero that the avengers are He's been thrown into a world where everybody looks up to the Avengers, they look up to these heroes and the way that they approach things, and he has to learn that I can't be Iron Man, I can't be Captain America, I can't be Nick Fury, I have to be my own hero, and then this movie here was where he finally learns like the consequences and the cost of being a hero. 
because in the first movie there wasn't a ton of consequence but the second movie obviously ended with a pretty big consequence and this one ended with multiple consequences that are more similar to the Raimi trilogy and ultimately what I'm seeing here post No Way Home which we're going to get into in a second this will probably segue us into there we're going to get something more similar to Raimi's trilogy where there's a balance between work life secrets and responsibility the context and the tone is going to be a lot more realistic and a lot more tonally serious because you get a lot of that in this movie but you're also going to have good actors you're going to have somebody who can cry when somebody dies instead of smiling and you're going to have a love interest who every time she opens her mouth you don't feel like why am i bored whose whole purpose isn't just there to be a damsel in distress and that's one thing that i'll say is like people can say whatever the f- they want about michelle jones michelle jones is a better interpretation of mary jane than mary jane was because she is actually mary jane she's not a damsel she has her own life she has her own agency she helps spider-man in her own right and the reason she's in danger is sometimes at moments not constantly not to be like a damsel in distress hung over for the hero to save The reason she's sometimes momentarily in danger is because she involves herself in Peter's life to a degree where she is directly in in the line of fire. Like, she's doing things. And that's what I appreciate about her character. So, anyway, we should talk about No Way Home. Just to kind of come from here, the first thing I really liked about No Way Home is I feel like No Way Home was a course correction. And it wasn't a course correction because there was anything wrong with the previous Spider-Man movies. But... The one thing that will always be riddled throughout the Spider-Man movies, which became even more apparent when the whole fiasco happened, when Sony and Marvel couldn't come to an agreement, is that the way that they planned his story and the way they planned his arc was always something temporary. And was always like, what are we going to do? Because Sony won't give us this, or what if Sony wants to leave, and all these things. And I think, for example, Michelle Jones, that was there because... Sony was playing a hardball. And also Marvel and Sony didn't want to double down. They were unsure of whether people were going to interpret Zendaya as Mary Jane and they weren't sure what to do. One of the first things that I called from the beginning, and I'm really happy that they did, is they did tie her directly to Mary Jane. And they said, yeah, her her last name actually is Watson. She just doesn't use it. And I'm happy that they did that. Because you're starting to see now where they're like, okay, Spider-Man is a permanent thing in the MCU. His characters are a permanent thing in the MCU. So now we can start like treating them like they are. That's the thing. I think in, in No Way Home for MJ, I liked her in this movie more than the other two. She was really, really funny. And this was the the first movie that their romance was like, they didn't actually have to like build towards a moment where got together. They were already together. And their relationship on the screen is so fantastic. And they, they have fantastic chemistry with each other. Like you said, she wasn't this damsel. She came up with ideas. And I really liked the the fact like that that one scene where like Spider-Man just like taped his phone onto his suit. And like she and Ned were helping Spider-Man out in that scene. Like that was really funny. It was it was a comical way to get everyone involved in that but then like where she was really good i felt like ned kind of was like the awkward third wheel that was done a lot in homecoming and far from home and then in this movie i kind of felt like enough was enough and like it was 
it was really like the stuff with his Lola was hilarious and like how he's been told like, oh, I have magic and stuff like that. And then, and then he actually does use like the Doctor Strange stuff, which was hilarious. But I just felt like Ned was sort of lost in a way in this movie like it just didn't sit well with me a little bit but like the supporting cast in general in this movie i think was stronger than any other tom holland spider-man movie like by a, a mile like it was it was so well done they found a good way to balance like the tone of the previous spider-man movies like the light kind of fun tone with this new tone of like there's some serious stuff going on right because like ned and mj are still kind of like funny and comedic but they also have their moments like you see different sides of ned in this movie that you've never seen and they also did transition out a lot of the the characters that were there just to serve a funny moment like flash and jb smooth's character and like betty brant and stuff they still popped up like mostly near the beginning yeah um and they had their funny moments but they definitely like transitioned them out thank god and i'm sure they'll pop up again in the future but like they very much were like it's not about his fun little life anymore and i think that's the thing we didn't realize at the end of far from home is that moment when mysterio revealed his identity really was the end of his childhood like that Mm -hmm. was the moment Right. And it came to abruptly and fast and he wasn't able to process it. And then this whole movie just continues to tear it away in like heartbreaking ways that have like consequences for his narrative moving forward. Getting into that beginning of the movie, like in terms of pacing, it was so fast. Like they really wanted to drive this point home that things will not be the same in this in like for these characters, like their worlds are falling apart right now. The fact that like, schools are declining their uh applications and like there's this split among public opinion like is spider-man this like is he a hero basically or is he a menace to quote j jonah jameson even that even goes into the school like the way like when he walks down the hallway like the hallways part and like like half of the people have like are, are angry and, and have to like and, shit. and like even yeah. e- and even among the teachers like the teachers are torn like the principal is all like this spider-man fanboy and then the gym teacher is like no man you're you're a murderer the scene especially where like they're standing in front of the tv and the helicopter's outside and they're like trying to real like they're basically cluing in like oh crap there's a copter outside my house and there's reporters and there's angry people and then at some point he got paint thrown at him and like like he became this public figure and like what i don't understand is everyone knew iron man was tony stark and Steve Rogers is Captain America, and Bruce Banner is Hulk, and they're fine with that. The media didn't care enough about these characters or these these people and their secret identities, but now, like, the fact that Spider-Man's identity now was revealed, like, that shouldn't be a big deal because, like, half the superheroes have public identities. Like, why did it matter so much to the world that Spider-Man was Peter Parker? Yeah, I had a problem with that, too. But the context was different, right? And I think that's the thing is... I don't know if you guys watched Far From Home right before you watched No Way Home, but this is one of those moments where I feel like watching Far From Home before No Way Home would have really contextualized that moment. And the thing is, it's not the public identity that hurt him. It's the fact that, if you remember from Far From Home, Mysterio tricked the whole world into thinking he was a superhero 
right? Yeah. Like he he had stopped the elementals, right? As far as the world knew, he had stopped the elementals. He had taken the mantle from Tony Stark. Peter had helped him build that reputation, and the world saw him as this superhero. And then he destroyed Peter Parker's reputation because he created that doubt, right? So that's where it's like, it's not his public identity that hurt him. It's the fact that in the wake of a world that's already super tense with all the things that we see happening, like Westview's been taken hostage. There's terrorists running around after the blip. Like the the world is in a very fragile state. And then this person that they're looking at, at least on one continent, if it wasn't the whole world of at least Europe, was very much invested in this idea of Mysterio. And then he shows up and he's like, Spider-Man killed me and shows this like proof that he's used as an illusion. Like, unfortunately, that's what happens. And the thing is, Spider-Man at this point hasn't really been too established because when you actually think of what he did, like, we think about him as like, okay, like Iron Man Jr., blah, blah. The only things he did, Civil War, what he did in Civil War, was inconsequential. I don't even think people knew he was there. Yeah. Like, that wasn't public knowledge. The thing with Vulture, sure, he stopped Vulture, one villain. That's it. And he wasn't even that big of a threat. Like, Vulture wasn't really doing much to hurt people. He was really just running kind of like like a, an arms deal chain right like he was an arms dealer so that wasn't really public knowledge it wasn't him who was the big target and so like even though spider-man stopped him like it, it was just one thing and then what else did he do he went to space got blipped and came back and sure was in the fight with thanos but who probably got the brunt of that glory was tony stark so i feel like Spider-Man literally has no accolades. There's really not a lot of people who know him other than like, yeah, he's that guy who kind of swings around, maybe stops some robbers sometimes. He's the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And that's why some of the neighborhood is like, no, there's no way that he did this. But a lot of the public eye who isn't really in his neighborhood is like, nah, this guy is a killer. That makes a lot more sense to me. And like that, now justifies his actions to go to Doctor Strange and try to make everyone forget that he's Spider-Man. And I actually didn't realize this until upon, like, upon thinking about it. Everything went to not just not when he said like, "Oh, I want Ned to know that I'm Spider-Man and and MJ and my my aunt." It went to when he said, "Everyone who should know Peter Parker as Spider-Man or does know Peter Parker as Spider-Man, people that." have organically earned that so like i guess that he probably meant like the avengers should probably know that or, or like stuff like that yeah but th that was the line the last line what he said was the thing that screwed everything up dr strange made it seem like okay don't say another name he says another name oh that screwed something up no it was the final thing that that messed everything up and i know that could be obvious for a lot of people but like for me I didn't clue it in until like a few hours ago, just upon thinking about before the podcast. To add on to this, why wouldn't Doctor Strange just restarted the spell instead of just casually tossing one of the rings away? They say, okay, I'm going to stop the spell. I'm going to cancel what I've done. And we're going to start from scratch. Because like you did see, like he kind of did this like, okay, like, like kind of like what people would do, like if they crumple up a piece of paper and like throw it behind their shoulder. That kind of thing, like I don't care, I'm littering. That kind of thing with the with those spells, and they kind of were just like down around his feet, just kind of like floating around, not doing anything while he's casting the new one. 
Well, we don't really know how the spell works. Like, that's the thing is like, sure, it's easy to say that, but we don't know what the internal logic is, if there was any. But the sense I got from it is it wasn't a spell, right? Like, that's not what it was. It was him like manipulating space time. And so once he had already like grasped a hold of space time, there were already consequences, right? And that's why Wong's like, I want nothing to do with this. And like that spell is probably not a good idea to be casting for this reason. But like ultimately, like he chooses to do it and he's unsuccessful. And we don't, and that's the thing is we also don't know if it happened because Peter messed with the spell or if just, you know, like Doctor Strange has made mistakes in the past, right? Like messing with space time is a big no no in everything we've seen that. The the ancient one has said like Wong like well he even, even said it too right <laughs> even like Mordo right like that's part of why Mordo left the yeah like dark sanctum is he's stuff. like yeah it's like dark magic and like messing with things you shouldn't mess with and Strange is just like I don't care like I'll do what I want and he kind of screws it up and it's like the funniest joke like I, I saw a meme where it's like everybody pointing at who's going to break the multiverse and they're like, oh, Loki or Kang or Wanda and like Doctor Strange is going to come in and get mad at them and it ends up just being Doctor Strange did it. No, you guys can't do it because I'm going to. So let's kind of transition more into like some more structure talk about the film. So villains, like how did we feel about the reintroduction of the villains, how they were utilized? Um, I'm going to kick it off a little bit just by saying that I'm pleasantly surprised how much Lizard and Sandman were in the movie. I genuinely thought that they were barely going to be in the movie and that they were only ever going to be animated, which they were. Like, it was very clear that they were... This was a COVID thing where they're like, we can't have too many people here. So they probably called the actors for Sandman and Lizard and were like, hey, the majority of the movie, we're just going to animate you and you can voice act and we'll bring you in in, like, the last scene or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, which is fair, but like they were in it quite substantially, and like they had their own characters, and I actually don't think that they were in it any less than the other villains. Like I actually think all the villains had pretty much equal screen time, with various levels of importance. Like obviously Doc Ock and Norman had more in terms of like importance to the story, but like they did them very well, and they've kept them so consistent to how they were in the original films. But what I liked about it is the humanity they gave to all of them, because what we forget about all of these characters when they were introduced is that none of them were bad people. Like even Norman, like, right. Like none of them were bad people. All of them were like victims, right. Of what was happening around them. And it kind of twisted them. And I liked that approach of like Tom Holland, despite the fact that he is not, his Spider-Man is is Iron Boy Jr., not Spider-Man. He did the most Spider-Man thing, which is I'm not gonna like hurt these people. I want to save them. Yeah, right. This is a joke, but like uh, what he did was very noble. How he wanted to fix these villains and reform them and send them back to their world. But like, what happens when they do get sent back to their? Yeah, world? no, I just no, they just they, die. He brought that up, like, Electro said he was in the, in the scene in Amazing Spider-Man 2 when he was above, like, the like, he was flying above the power plant and, like, sucking all the electricity up. 
he doesn't have his powers anymore when he gets brought back to his world. He's just going to fall to his death. What the thing is, I think you need to suspend. Like, I I agree. Like, I thought about that, too. I'm like, doesn't it just, like, make no sense? Because they're just going to get sent back to the same point and die. But I think we have to, like, assume. It's like with the blip, right? Like, yeah. when they brought people back, it's like, oh, what about all the people that were, like, in planes and then blip into the air and fall to their death? I think the idea is, like, okay, these people were sent safely back to their universes. They're sent to timelines where they can now exist peacefully. Right? Yeah. Norman is sent to a timeline. Because, like, obviously they can't all be sent back to the same timeline. Because there's no way that those sequences can work. Because, like, for example, Sandman, Doc Ock, and Green Goblin are all from the same universe at different points in time in which they were pulled. So I think the idea is they're all sent back to a version of their universe where they now get to live in peace. So it's almost like Peter course-corrected the timelines of the previous Spider-Man films and created new branches where there's, like, a happy ending for each of these characters, Right, because it's the same thing with Toby and Andrew, right? Like, spoilers for those of you who, again, like we told you, spoilers. But Toby and Andrew are in the movie. They're they're both coming from times like Toby's is much after Spider-Man three, clearly, and Andrew's is at least decently after Amazing Spider-Man two. Like, if they're sent back to their universes at the time that they came, like their universes would be massively different had Kirk Connors been cured and never been the lizard and electro had been like gwen stacy probably would have never died right like it's so that's what i mean is i think that the idea is they were all sent back to the point like the general time frame that they were taken from peacefully to live out like a new variant or a new reality so like they didn't all get sent back to the same place yeah or the same you would have time three different tobys and two different andrews i think that's the idea is that there's just all these branches now but those versions those variants yeah of these characters now all get to exist peacefully. I don't understand like why Sandman was pulled into this thing and like why he would become evil to a certain extent or team up with Electro in this specific movie because he was in a good place at the end of Spider-Man 3. Well, that's the thing is I didn't interpret personally, I don't know how you guys did, I didn't interpret the villains as working together at all. They all had their own goals that were separate but similar. And like for most of them, like, Electro clearly wanted to stay in that universe. Like, that's what his goal was. Sandman just wanted to survive to be able to get back to his universe to see his daughter, right? And so his, like, response was very, like, defensive. And it was more like, he realized very quickly that, like, Doctor Strange and Spider-Man were trying to, like, eliminate these otherworldly visitors. And so, like, he doesn't matter what his morality is. He's a target of that, right? Yeah. And so, like, I feel like they all were trying to do those things. Yeah. Um, and they all had like the same kind of goals of like either staying in the universe or trying to like survive and things like that. But I never saw them as ever working together. Like they never yeah. really worked together. They were just all there. Yeah, no, like the only moment I feel like they ever like even there ever was a connection was when Norman was like to Electro, like, don't let him take away your power. And then Electro like was like, yeah, and then like left. And then I never like even in that final scene it's like the three Spider-Man versus Sandman, Electro, and Lizard. I didn't see it as like the team of them versus the team of villains. It was like yeah. each of those villains was individually there to do the same thing, but they were not working together. 
if there was really like one of the like quote like joke characters i feel like lizard was the joke of the villain like i want to turn everyone into lizards and, and he's like oh it's evolution mm-hmm. stuff but like that was like he was the, the butt end of a lot of jokes i find yeah and i i feel like it would have been really powerful to see dr connor's turns back into himself like he's not the lizard anymore and he has his arm that would have been a nice moment for that and like lastly with with electro he was still cringy See, I disagree with that. Like, like, sure, he was still characterized the same way, which is cringy, but I didn't find it distasteful because, one, well, I think it would have been... It's just like, I don't know, like, having, like, him as... It was atypical. That's the thing, is, like, I think it was cringy in Amazing Spider-Man 2, not because Electro... Like, I actually like the interpretation of Electro in Amazing Spider-Man 2. The problem is positioning him as the main villain when he has that characterization, was wrong. Like, had Amazing Spider-Man 2 positioned Harry as the main villain for the most of the film, which would have made the most sense because the climax is caused by Harry, I feel like that movie would have been a lot better if Electro was, like, the secondary villain, but they made him the main villain. Whereas, like, in this movie, it worked because it's like, I don't need to take him seriously as the main threat. It's okay for him to be, like a threat but not the threat and i liked him i actually liked him in this film a lot and i thought he they did a really great job with this character definitely the look um the characterization was great as well no the look the look this time around was way better yeah i know like definitely but like damn and like even when he was like charging up and everything you saw that kind of like the electric star kind of thing which is like a callback to his like mask from the comics yeah. and everything i that thought was that was a really nice touch well. And, like, I appreciate, like you are saying, like, Lizard was the butt end of some jokes, and part of me really appreciated how they kind of took a step back, and they actually did criticize some of the missteps of the previous series mm-hmm. by being kind of meta and joking about it. The thing that I learned from this movie, which I always kind of felt, but it was hard to gauge because of the way that the, the films were, but, like, this film really showed, like, Alfred Molina as fantastic of a doc Ock as he is sure he was like people see him as like the spider-man villain because he was in that movie like that i said like on paper is a fantastic film but holy crap did willem dafoe just steal the show like he carried the first spider-man on its back and he did the same thing in this movie like terrifying like so good so good in this movie and like the stakes of this movie like creating that like really bringing Tom Holland Spider-Man into like the the serious undertone of like there's some people who are literally there to just cause chaos. Like there's no reasoning and even those people you have to save, right? Like he was at the Batman dilemma in this in this, right? Like he had his Joker moment where he's like this is somebody who's doing everything for the wrong reasons but it's not their fault and I still have to help them. Like the climax of the movie, the battle of like Happy's apartment there where, like, the spider sense is going off, and, like, we know something bad is going to happen. And then the switch where, like, where the personality shift in Green Goblin happens, like, that was a fantastic moment. And then, like, the fact that, like, they showed how Green Goblin actually physically is a match for Spider-Man. They were punching each other through the ceilings and through yeah, the like, of the apartment. Like, wrestling moves and stuff. Yeah, like, it was insane. Like, you never got to see things like that in the Tobey Maguire movies. It was more just like shooting webs and like throwing things at each other. Like they didn't have that like basically the fight without any technology or anything. Yeah. Like I feel like back then they couldn't have done it because they need some degree of CGI to do that and the CG back then just that's wasn't That's very there. true. Yeah. Although the CG in the second movie was really really good. 
I will say, like, just while we're still kind of on this topic of Green Goblin, I was pretty disappointed early on in the film when, like, Green Goblin obviously shows up for the brief minute in his classic, like, green suit, which I've actually grown to really like, the one from the original Spider-Man. And they gave it a really sleek new design. And I was pretty disappointed when in the next scene after he like broke and abandoned it. And I was like, I don't know why they're making this choice. Like you'd think he'd have it for a little longer. It was just the helmet. No, it yeah. was it was the whole suit because he got a, a new suit after. But yes, it was the helmet. But I thought he was wearing the original green suit. Yeah. He just put something over top of the armor. He just smashed his helmet. Okay, but regardless, I, what I'm talking about is the iconic part, which is the helmet. Exactly. Right? And I was like, why why would they do this so early? And like now I realize why Spider-Man 1 also kind of faltered as a movie because when I rewatched it, I was like, oh, I, this isn't as good as I remember. And know what it is? It's because it was an injustice to put Willem Dafoe under a mask. His face curled in ways that faces should not curl. He was terrifying when he was in the goblin side. Like his face was scared. Like he was infinitely more menacing seeing his face when he was in that goblin persona than when he was under the mask and it was like so chilling and that's what i mean is it's like i see why kevin feige was probably like this is why we're going in this direction it's because you got somebody like willem dafoe a great actor like that who can do those kinds of things that yeah you don't want to put him under a mask you want him to see his face Right, like he was a goblin. Like that's the thing is, he literally didn't even have a costume. Really, he was like just wearing. He was like his face with a purple hood, but his face was more goblin and scary than when he was wearing a literal goblin mask. And he did more damage. And I'll argue this over Mysterio. Like Mysterio turned Spider-Man's world upside down, but literally Green Goblin broke Peter Parker in ways that yeah. no other villain had. With what happened to Aunt May. And like, yeah, I kind of got that spoiled for me. But the way it was done in the movie, where like she kind of had that I forgot the name of it. Where like you, when you're actually dying, but you like you don't know that you are. She's like, I'm just tired. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I need to rest. Like things like that. And like the way it was presented, like you think she's gonna die, and then she stands up, and then they start walking out. You think everything's gonna be okay, and then she just collapses. It comes back that like dread of like, oh god, what am I about to see? And, like. You had that Uncle Ben moment. Yeah. And I was not expecting that to happen. With great power comes great responsibility or however they they phrase it in the I think the they movie. just exactly phrased it that way. No, they did. It was great power comes great responsibility. That was the most powerful moment, I think, in the entire MCU. If I had yeah. to pick one moment, that was the that's the turning point for the character as it should be. And we didn't really have that in the other two Tom Holland movies. And like I, that's when I really got excited for the future of the characters after that point. We've been given all this fan service before, the, like before this, and now this breaks the ground for the character, basically. Things got really real, and like he's panicking and, and crying and stuff, and he's like, all the guards are going to come in and, and try to kill him. And they did shoot P- Spider-Man in the arm, and like Happy has to come in, and like what's Happy thinking at that moment? And, like that was just so well done. And like Marissa Tomei's delivery and like it's a little bit upsetting that she's not going to be in it. But like they definitely had to do something drastic like that to get Spider-Man to a, like the way he should be. Because like we don't we never saw the Uncle Ben sacrifice. Maybe we'll see it in the or the Uncle Ben death. Maybe we'll see it in the animated thing. But well, there is an Uncle Ben in the universe. 
there 100% is an Uncle Ben in the universe who did die because it, it is hinted at in Homecoming and in What If yep. it's definitely mentioned. But that being said, I actually really like what they did because in my opinion, like everybody's like, oh, I want to see the Uncle Ben death. Or like what Uncle Ben, he never mentions it. Maybe this Peter just didn't have that connection with Uncle Ben. Yeah. And maybe when he died, it wasn't his responsibility. And sure, he was sad for his Aunt May. But what they did is they retold that moment, but they did it in a way that was so unexpected. But yeah. it had the same weight, right? Yeah. It had the exact same weight. And this is his Uncle Ben moment. And I liked mm. that. I really, really liked how they did it. And one of the things that I wasn't sure about as well when I was watching it, I was like, I was unsure. I'm like, why is Green Goblin... Like, this is so strange. Like, why is he going after Aunt May? But, like, when I start to think about it more, I'm like, this is actually something that Green Goblin, as a character, never encountered. A conflict he never encountered with Tobey Maguire. Because in his movies, nobody was trying to cure Norman. Everybody was trying to kill and stop Norman. And so, in the Goblin's mind, if Norman was captured he still had a hold on norman right like that personality still has control if he dies he dies whatever they go down together but what the goblin couldn't let go of was this idea that norman could exist without him and when aunt may kind of like gave that to peter and she's like what if you do this what if you help him what if you save the man from the monster like seeing that personality be so threatened by humanity because it's so opposite of what humanity is it was like so primal to see like the thing he hated most is something he's never faced before which is compassion and Aunt may was that compassion because she's like even though this person is a monster like you say he is like you need to try to help him and like yeah. I really liked that, and I think that that moment was just wonderfully done, and I think that it's so much more meaningful as an Uncle Ben moment for this character because we got to spend three movies with her. Like we know their relationship; we're not just told their relationship. Yeah, and I think that the Uncle Ben moment had passed. You know, yeah. like I feel like it was almost too late now. When the other two Spider-Man brought up their stories with their uncle Ben's and like Peter kind of didn't really react contribute in that conversation at all. Like he didn't mention, Oh, his uncle Ben, like it makes me think what you said, like, yeah, maybe like uncle Ben wasn't like this super important figure in his life or, or something like that. And, but like, yeah, they definitely nailed that moment though with Aunt May dying. We kind of talked about all the villains a bit, but like the last thing though, I want to talk about with the villains unless you guys have something to add is like, like, cause we know Tom Holland signed on for three more movies. I actually want to get to this last. I know what you're going to say is like what we're going to do with villains moving forward. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that last. So the one other thing I think we should talk about before we kind of move into the future is just the Spider-Man in general, how they were interpreted, mm-hmm. um, their interactions. Like, what did you feel? Like, how did, how did you feel about that because obviously like we all kind of knew it was coming but obviously seeing it is very different than knowing yeah. about it i thought like the the way that they were introduced in the movie were like ned's using the the doctor strange like ring i think this like the sling ring whatever it's called and like you just see like andrew garfield spider-man he's like in a dark alley like really far away and they're like peter peter come here and like he's slowly walking forward and it's like this 
oh, look who's back type thing. Like, it's like a, like, it felt like a sitcom when, like, a character, like, uh, opens a door and runs in and is like, hey, it's me, like, thing like that. And, like, I felt that was really, really fitting because, like. Yeah, it, it fits it fits the character. Just to hear the audience in the theater just cheer about that and we're, like, people were genuinely surprised because we had, like, we, like, here we are, like, following all the rumors and stuff, right? And then there's, like, this family of four sitting in front of Mateo and I and they're, like, genuinely surprised. They're like, holy crap, we never saw this coming. And I'm like, oh, okay. okay. And Mateo's all like, who'd have thunk it? And he's saying it surprisingly, <laughs> and everyone is genuinely shocked. Yeah. It was it was, it was, was an interesting experience having that. I don't know how the people are sitting around you took the... I don't know. I didn't really pay attention. But yeah, it was. I think it was... I agree with you, Mateo. It was fitting. And it was fun because I think even though we knew they were coming, we would have never expected them to come in that moment. So when that scene was like presented, I don't think any of us were anticipating that that's where they were going to show up. And I think that's what kind of was brilliant about the scene. It was also a nice little victory because that is the scene that followed Anne May's death. That is the scene directly after her death. So it was kind of that hope in the pit of like misery and like sadness, right? And it was something to be hopeful about. And it was also kind of like a comedic scene, right? With uh, Ned's grandmother there and like <laughs> yeah. all the like, silly interactions. And like, steps, please. It was great. <laughs> that was Grandma so funny. Was really that. funny. Was and yeah. just like, I'd like to point out though, like just, I just remember like about Ned, like, like the Spider-Man shared their, their moment where like, yeah, make sure your best friend doesn't like try to kill you or something like that. I really hope they don't do that with Ned. I, I don't just think they're going to do it with Ned. I, I really hope they, they don't. Like, it's it's something where like Ned is so pure and just so lovable, and just like I cannot see him doing something bad. And I just I don't want to fall it him to fall in the trope with the previous Harry Osborns, where like okay, he's when are they gonna have a fight and try to kill each other? Like I don't need more misery with Spider Man. Yeah. Spider Man, I don't like, think has they'll do that. Shit going on. Like let him have a good friend. I think that reference was supposed to like dismiss that, like it's not going to happen. As awful as to say, I think I do, because I think now that like with the end of the movie where the entire world forgets Peter Parker, Ned could maybe feel threatened by Peter because I honestly thought that when like like at the end of the movie where like Peter walks into MJ's like work, I thought like her and Ned were going to be together, and then here comes Peter, this guy that's going to come and take my girlfriend. And I thought, like, that could have been the start of something. And I'm like, oh, no, please don't. Yeah, no, I I thought that, too. I don't think they're going to do that. Like, I think if they're going to do the whole, like, friend betrayal thing, I think they're going to introduce new characters. They could introduce Harry at MIT. I think they will. I think they will introduce Harry. Um, And I think that we are going to get, like, an Osborne story. But we'll get to that in a sec. Let's continue with, like, the Spider-Man. What I will say about Spider-Mans, though, is I think Andrew Garfield stole the show. I think seeing them interacting together showed how much care Andrew put into his interpretation of Peter. Because to be fair, they all did what they always did. Tom Holland played his character the way he always did. And so did Toby, because Toby was just pushing lines. He was better than (laughs) he was. He was was a lot better than he was back in Spider-Man 1, 2, 3. He's grown as an actor, but I still felt like even when he's like, my Uncle Ben said that to me, it was like, it just felt like Tobey Maguire reading lines. And I was just like, pretty much. And I was just like, I like their interactions, but like Andrew was so consistent to how he was like in the poem and other movies. Like, and it was fun seeing their like banter um, between like 
like obviously Tom Holland Spider-Man's done the most extravagant things, but Toby's also got to do some crazy things where it's like Andrews really didn't get to do much. And it was nice to see those interactions. And I I really liked how they continued because Andrew didn't get his full arc. I like how Toby was like a season, like his arc was clearly complete after Spider-Man 3. Of course, there were supposed to be more movies, but Spider-Man 3 was the completion of the first arc, so they never built anything. So he came in feeling like a seasoned Spider-Man, like his stories were done, and he didn't have much more story to tell other than to be a mentor. But I like how for Andrew, they really picked up where he left off. Like he was still reeling from the guilt with Gwen. They gave him the moment to save MJ, and it was like emotional it wasn't just like a fan moment it was like also they let his character also like have that emotional moment saving her and like reinvigorating kind of like redeeming himself after what he failed to do and like i liked what they did and moving forward i would really hope that we get to see more of andrew spider-man somewhere coming out of the movie I don't know why, but I feel like this will not be the last we see of him. I really don't. And I know there's a, there is an appetite on his behalf to reprise Spider-Man again. And yeah. Tobey Maguire like, has not been in a lot of movies in the last 10 years. And every time he's been in a, a bigger movie, like I remember watching the press for The Great Gatsby and people asking about Spider-Man, and he just doesn't want to talk about it. Is he was upset, right? Like he really loved that role, and like it was really taken from him prematurely. So yeah, Andrew Garfield, the same thing. And like when that opportunity comes, like he will take it. It's like Henry Cavill with Superman. If they come knocking, he will be there. He wants to do the role. Yeah, and I feel like because of all the fantastic moments, and I've seen so so many awesome responses and people feeling the same way about Andrew Garfield Spider Man. Like if the opportunity presents itself, they they're gonna do it. Maybe if it's in like what if, or in like some sort of a future Spider-Man movie, whether it's in the MCU or not, I think we're gonna see Andrew Garfield again. I really do. I, I do too. I personally hope that they keep him out of the MCU because I really feel like, like I've said about Andrew Spider-Man, like he's very different, and I really don't feel like he fits the tone of the MCU. I don't want him in the MCU, but I've always felt this and i really feel it more after seeing him is just like throw him into sony's shared spider-man universe like have him be the spider-man in the venom universe because he fits like those movies morbius venom they're in some weird absurd reality that fits so well with the amazing spider-man's universe and i really just feel like those movies started as spin-offs of amazing spider-man for a reason and they still retain some of that skeleton and yep. if they wanted to throw him in, they can. And then if they ever want to cross over again, like they, they could have, have another team up movie, but it's just Tom yeah. and Andrew. They don't need Toby there. Toby's story is done for the most part, right? Like he can be there, but I really don't feel like Toby has more story to tell, whereas I feel like Andrew does. And like I said, I don't think there's the willingness from the actor to do that just based on history right like but when the rumors of this crossover on this scale came out where like the other spider-man are gonna be in the movie we always heard like toby mcguire's the holdout and like there was a moment where they thought it wasn't gonna happen and then it, and it did end up happening and like look how long it took them to show him in the suit in the movie i think they did that on purpose well the original rumor don't you do you remember what the original rumor about his holdout was no i don't remember it was 
it would actually, and it's consistent with what happened. His original holdout was it wasn't about money for him. He wanted a certain percentage of his scenes in the movie to be him as Peter Parker because he wanted his face on the screen. He didn't want to be under a mask. Yeah. And it's so consistent because he literally didn't mask up till that last scene. I forgot about that. I can believe that. Like I said earlier, like I when they were in that doing that that scene where they were in the school and they were creating all the antidotes or whatever for the villains. I can buy Tom Holland's Spider-Man being in there. I can buy Andrew Garfield especially being in there. But Tobey Maguire, like, I just, I just still don't. But Tobey studied with Otto Octavius and Kurt Connors. I know that, but they just were like one-off lines in the scenes. Like, they didn't spend a lot of time showing that element of the character. Sure. And they referenced it in the movie. Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland had to create their own webs. They had, had to, to do like, that. Tom Holland Spider-Man applied for MIT. Okay, you're. T- There's no way Tobey Maguire was that smart like i just like like i know that he 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 was smart enough to to like go with connor's and in his world they don't that but like just seeing from what we know as the audience it just did he did not pull it off and i that is toby mcguire's acting is the reason for that a lot of tell not but, show in toby's movies yeah like the whole thing with like people that knew peter parker got brought in the world but technically emma stone's gwen stacy and and uh, kirsten dunce mj yeah also knew that they were Spider-Man. Maybe they should have been brought into the world as well, right? But they weren't. But the thing is, they might have. That's the thing, is we wouldn't have known because they're not going to make as much of a mark as a guy with tentacles, like with a vendetta against Spider-Man, right? Because it's the same thing as Venom, right? Like Venom got pulled into the universe but never interacted with them. He was pulled and sent back. Imagine if if Emma Stone was in this movie, though, and like you had her interaction with Andrew... That moment, and like maybe moment. like she could have come as Spider Gwen. That could have been really cool. I think that is yeah. something to save for much further down the road. And I do feel like if they ever do Spider Gwen, I would love to see Emma Stone in that role. I don't think they will yeah. use her, but it would be nice. But I think this is a good segue into the final kind of close off, which is like the future. What's going to happen? So, Mateo, why don't you pose the question you were going to pose? Because I have a response to that question. Yeah, what we were going to say was Tom Holland's Spider-Man now has fought a Green Goblin, a Dr. Octopus, Electro, all these big Spider-Man villains. Do you think there's any way that like new versions of these characters could be done in the MCU eventually going yeah. forward like maybe like it probably like at least for the the toby mcguire villains that were brought into this movie maybe like the ultimate versions of them are the ones that are brought into like the main mcu because like they're very different takes from what we've gotten because like those were the very traditional looking versions of those characters and maybe there actually was something interesting that i read because like you know when like the space time, wherever the heck was, was tearing apart. And like, you could see yeah. like people, like I did see villains. Rhino. I saw Rhino there, but that was the only one I know for sure was. Yeah. People saw Craven. I think those were just ultimately references. Like, I don't think they necessarily yeah. mean anything. I do agree yeah. with you. I think like they have ultimate interpretations of the characters that they could do. But I also think that they don't even need to necessarily do ultimate interpretations. They yeah. could just do different interpretations. But and, like for Green Goblin, though, Norman said like Oscorp doesn't exist in the main MCU. That's how you would introduce Green Goblin, and that doesn't exist. Not necessarily, and that's what I mean. Is I feel that if these characters are introduced, they're going to be very different. So, for example, if they introduce an uh, Norman Osborn, like because what people really want is they want 
Matthew McConaughey to play Norman Osborn. Like that's right. one of the fan casts, and they want him to be really young and like starting up the company, like a Tony Stark kind of visionary guy, right? So I think that they can do something like that, and then what plays into it is Peter knowing what Norman Osborn is capable, having interacted with an alternate version of him. Maybe it ends up becoming like the self fulfilling prophecy, right? Like he. Yeah distrusts him and his distrust for him ultimately yeah. leads him down Fishes a dark him. path or maybe doesn't lead him down the dark path maybe leads his son harry down the dark path right like i yep. think that there's ways that they can do it but ultimately like so me and yako had a really good conversation about what could happen villains wise because basically i said when i came out of the theater i said like yeah like it's great that there's a trilogy but who are they going to do as the next villain? Because they've basically done all his villains now. And yes, they could do those alternate versions. And obviously the post-credit scene teases some kind of symbio-venom thing happening. But I'm just like, okay, what's going to happen? Because I've always felt like... So my thought going into this movie, when Tom Hardy at the end of Venom 2 was brought into the MCU, is I thought what was going to happen was that the symbiote was going to attach to Spider-Man, Tom Hardy's Eddie Brock, who they have established as a hero in his own movies, was going to become jealous of Spider-Man as a result, and they were going to be in conflict. And I thought that was a pretty sound theory. But obviously now the postcard scene sends Venom back and Tom Hardy back, but what's left is a substance, like a little bit of the symbiote. So me and Yako had a really good conversation about this. So we were like, what villains are there left? And me and Riley had this conversation before. And one of the ones I said was Scorpion. Scorpion is one of the only ones they haven't done. And sometimes Scorpion is has been posed in the... Because scorpions are sometimes the primary predators for spiders in some parts of the world. So sometimes Scorpion has been posed as like one of Spider-Man's like biggest threats. But as Riley kind of said to me, he's like, well, sure maybe early film, but now he's fought Vulture, now he's fought like Doc Ock, Green Goblin, like how is Scorpion a threat anymore? So, and I said that to Yako too, and they've also introduced Scorpion, because he was actually in Homecoming. Yeah. Um, but they never, he never panned out, but this is what me and Yako got into, which was really interesting. And he's like, well, what if they do start with the Scorpion story, right? Like, so let's say Spider-Man 4 starts with, he's Again, now he's kind of like back at square one. He's using a costume he made and he's like doesn't have all his tech and stuff. So he might be at a little bit of a disadvantage and he has to fight somebody like Scorpion who's using like a mech suit or whatever. And he's a little bit of a threat. Now, partway into the movie, he gets the symbiote and he gets the black suit and now he can easily take down Scorpion. What if what they're setting up here is not eddie brock venom they're setting up mac gargan venom because the second venom in the comics was actually scorpion so what if he starts a scorpion but then becomes venom so then they don't have to compromise eddie brock and tom, and tom hardy the way that they've done already like they've already kind of built him up in his movies but they can still do a venom storyline and yeah. then further along when they do cross over tom hardy and tom holland maybe that's why Tom Holland's Spider-Man is going to be hostile toward Venom. It's because he's going to have fought a Venom already. And that Venom was going to be Matt Gargan, who was like brutal and evil and terrifying. So he's going to try and destroy the symbiote. That's a really I good really idea. hope that happens, honestly. Like I 
I had some ideas like of how I hope they introduce Venom and like maybe it was like oh maybe do a villain like Craven but I think Craven should end a trilogy or be the middle villain in the trilogy. The reality is they're not going to do Craven because Craven's getting his own movie in the Sony yeah, universe. Yeah, that's true. I forgot that they were doing that. But yeah, I, so, I I think that's a perfect idea because like Scorpion by himself isn't like a big threat, like you said. So like that works really well. And then you can have the best of both worlds with Venom. So like, yeah, and then like you kind of have like it can be like Spider Man three, but done right. So yeah. and I think what works like very well as this being the fourth movie is that Scorpion is a small time villain to start out, becomes more threatening when he becomes Venom. The other thing. Is Scorpion? Do you know Scorpion's origin story? I have literally no idea. My only exposure to of Scor- my only exposure to Scorpion was from the GameCube Spider-Man One game. This is why I think it will play in, especially the way I think No Way Home interpreted everything. So the person who actually creates Scorpion, who has a hand in creating Scorpion, is J. Jonah Jameson. He's the one oh. he hates Spider-Man so much that he teams up yeah. with this thug and he helps him develop this suit to kill Spider-Man. Now. J. Jonah in this universe, as we saw, is way more aggressive than mm-hmm. J. Jonah and Toby's. Like, he brought police there to pretty much manhunt Spider Man. And I would yeah. not put it past, like, if they made the fourth Spider Man movie, the villains are J. Jonah Jameson and Matt Gargan. I think that's a great first story because it's not too big. So there's still room to build, but it's still personal enough and big enough of a threat that it works. And it could have this nice little dichotomy too, where like Jay Jonah starts by like helping fund this Scorpion costume, like the Scorpion mech to destroy Spider-Man. Spider-Man has a hard time with Scorpions. So, and then he finds a symbiote. He starts using it. He becomes more aggressive. This allows Jay Jonah to turn people against him again and paint him more as a villain and, and, Things like that, right? They can also start to build the Daily Bugle life because if Jay Jonah is going to be like an antagonist in the movie, they can also build his work life into the story, into the core narrative. And then by the end, you build up to to Matt Gargan becoming Venom. And then eventually when they bring Tom um, Hardy in, there's a natural conflict there. And I think eventually when that piece of the symbiote returns to Tom Hardy, he's finally going to have his spider emblem which he's been missing for the last two Venom films. The thing you said about J. Jonah, like that makes sense because he was at ground zero, basically in no way home. Like he saw what Spider-Man can really do and like how these villains go after him and the destruction that these, this can cause. We should write this movie. <laughs> I think we should. Like I thought a Venom story would be more like, okay, we have the seeds of it now. We've already seen Matt Murdock and like, Jules, are you caught up with, with Hawkeye currently? No, I've not watched a single episode of Hawkeye. I mean, if you're referring to the fact that a certain a certain Big Willie returns, I'm aware. A Big Willie? <laughs> a very Big Willie. It has been spoiled to me multiple times, so I know that he's coming. Um, and I do think like he would fit very well in the Spider-Man film, especially if they do a Spider-Man Daredevil team-up. And I think Craven could play really well into a story like that. Um, but I don't know how they're going to do it. And I, I genuinely don't know how they're going to have three more films worth of villains. I'm really interested to see what they do. But Tom Holland's thrown things out too. Like he's also said he'd love to see Madam Web come in as a villain, like reinterpret her as like this villain. And like they can bring in a different version of Norman, right? They can 
yeah. bring in like Venom. They can bring in Carnage. They can bring in Mr. Negative. Like lots of different things that they haven't explored. Well, what if they do the whole like symbiote world stuff? Like if you started off like that, then they would bring it more like to a cosmic scale again, right? Well, I feel like they're exploring that in the Venom film, so I don't know if they'll explore that in Spider-Man, but that's also a possibility. There's also yeah. realistically they haven't done Sinister Six. This movie had five villains, but they didn't team up. There can also be yeah. a team up, right? Like if they introduce Scorpion, then it's just a matter of okay, bringing Vulture back. You have Scorpion. You can write Rhino in with a line. Mysterio. Mysterio might be a little trickier, but I'm sure they can find a way to do it, right? But they can do things like that, right? Like they they can have a Sinister Six as well and figure out how that would work. So there's also that option, however they do it. Yeah, like Spider-Man's rogues gallery is second to Batman's and all of comic yeah. books. Like there's a lot to pull from. Black Cat. Right. So, like, that's the thing. Like, with Spider Man, I'm not too worried about how they're going to handle their villains. It's just like, I find it like they have to be creative now because what what they've done with this movie. Yeah. But you brought up Daredevil. Riley literally. Yeah. And I did too. Like, we are huge Daredevil fans. We knew this was going to happen, but this, the way it was done was so, like, it was really well done. Like, it feels like that's the exact same character we saw on the Netflix show, which is really reassuring. And, like, when. The brick came through the window and he grabbed it and everyone's like, what the heck? How can you do that? He's like, I'm, I'm a really good lawyer. Like, that was a fantastic line. I love that so much. This is like the first step that the character is going to take to be like really brought back to us. And I can't wait for that because Daredevil's like my, he's my favorite Marvel character. And that was my favorite moment in the whole movie. Like aside from the Aunt May scene, like that was, that, that got me so hyped for the future like i could care less what happens now i have daredevil back and like kingpin's gonna be is back too like it's just they're so great and just the, the fact that they can interact in this big world now and not just be confined to the netflix characters it, like it just it's oh, so yeah. many there's so many possibilities and it, I, I can't wait for that i'm so excited i am too to kind of end this off because i feel like we we should wrap this up mm-hmm. the last thing we'll say is i we don't need to go over all the films, but generally, where does No Way Home place on your Spider-Man ranking? Like, do you think it's in like the top tier, in the middle, or in the bottom? Like, what do you what do you feel? Yeah, it's it's in the it's in top three for me. I think it's in the top three for me as well. Maybe maybe top four. Maybe yeah, I'm, like, I'm still debating. I need to see it again to to solidify its place. For sure, like I, I spoil it already. I think Amazing Spider-Man is my favorite still, but and like Homecoming's there, so it's like, it's between this and Homecoming for number two for me. Like I really think that I think all three Tom Holland Spider-Man movies are in the top five somewhere, like they're top four probably when I think about it even further. It's the best era of Spider-Man for sure. So two or three guaranteed, like probably two, just because Daredevil's in it. I'll I'll put it that. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> Alrighty, everyone, I guess this brings us to the end of today's main quest. If you like what you heard today, hit that like button, subscribe, tell your friend about our podcast. We're almost at 300 subscribers now, and if you really like what we're doing here, we're really enjoying what we're doing here, let us know. Uh, Give us a few suggestions about your thoughts in the comments. Let us know what you'd like us to discuss with the icebreakers, and uh, yeah, just in general, just thanks for uh, helping us grow this past year. We really appreciate it, and we really look forward to keeping you guys in the loop with what we're up to and with new and nerdy topics in the new year. 
And I guess this will leave it for now. Mateo, would you like to see us out? Microsoft, make a new banjo game. See everybody. Bye. Yeah.